Okay, if you want to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to be in the first 14 verses. We're condensing a couple of weeks because I was out and it's actually going to work better and just excited to uh, be here with you tonight. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 14 and there's three different cycles in this passage of opposition and then response to the opposition. And then in each of these cycles there are lessons for us and I was trying to work it through so that there would be opposition response and then we would unpack the lesson but there's so much going on that is thematic and wraps up together I think what we're going to do is I'm going to present opposition and then we're going to unpack some of the historical context that's helpful we're going to try to understand the passage a little bit and then we're going to look at Nehemiah's corresponding response how he responds to the opposition And then rather than fully unpacking it after that first point, we're going to just kind of, I'm going to condense it into a a, a kind of a a condensed response, a one-sentence response. And then as we get to the end, we're going to expand each of those principles by way of applying it to us. So if you're fully confused, don't worry, hang in there, you'll get there. But I kind of wanted to give you a lay of the land and and you wouldn't be sitting there thinking, oh, oh, that's it? But it's coming at the end, okay? So hang in there. And then I really want to look at five, by way of application for us, five redemptive steps, five key principles we can uh, pull away. Our main point, everything is going to be kind of hinged around this reality. When we respond to opposition, sorry, we respond to opposition by acknowledging God's power, taking step-by-step action, and remembering our purpose and also our people. So we respond to opposition by acknowledging God's power, taking step-by-step action, and then remembering our purpose and our peeps, who our people are. Father, thank you for the opportunity to get in your word tonight together, and I do pray that you would help me to be clear, um, that we would be able to receive your word, and even as Jason prayed on our behalf as we got started and we sang together, that we would be changed by you, that your words ringing down from generations through your spirit, would be changed. That's why we're here. So we receive it. Amen. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is opposition 1. I remember last week we talked about, we we're kind of an exciting chapter, families working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, building the walls. You had perfumers goldsmiths, noblemen, servants, fathers, sons, daughters, all working together. Outsiders are beginning to see things coming together. The wall is being built, and they're not liking it. They're unhappy. So we read in 
chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? So he's talking out loud at the workers who are working on the wall in the presence of some of his army that was there. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yeah, what are they building? If a fox go up, goes up on it, he will break down their wall. Now, in Nehemiah's account, Sanballat and this Tobias guy are appearing for the third time. We saw them in chapter 1, verses 9, in chapter 2, verses 19, and now the third time they appear here in chapter 4. And in each one of these experiences, in each one of these appearances and interactions, comes as a result of Nehemiah and the Jews gaining momentum and success. So each time they do something positive and they start making movement forward, these two guys show up and start ridiculing, mocking, trying to slow the work down. And in each one of these interactions, Sanballat's emotions and his threats grow more and more intense. Now at this time in history... The titles for the regions in which they lived, where Jerusalem lies, where these walls that they're repairing are broken down, where this city that they're going to attempt to rebuild is located, lies in Israel or Samaria. Both of those names are synonymous at the time. So in verse 2, when it says, Sanballat said, in the presence of the army of Samaria, It's talking about the area that he governs. He's over this area. The city of Jerusalem was within the confines of Israel or Samaria. And so therefore, Nehemiah rebuilding this city and establishing Jerusalem under God's rule would remove it from Sanballat's rule. It would take away some of his position and his power. It's interesting, Sanballat goes through all these things. What are they going to build it for themselves? You know, he goes through this whole sentence, and then there's this little Tobiah guy. He's like, Yeah, even if a fox goes up on it, it's going to fall down. He's kind of like that goofy sidekick, you know, that's just, Yeah, what he said. You, know? you get this feeling that that's what's happening here. But in attempts to maintain his control and power, Sanballat is ridiculing and mocking. Man, if you're not seeing this in our culture today, open your eyes. People are afraid of losing power and control. And they will ridicule and they will mock and they will threaten. And here's Sanballat, and now he has brought his army along. The first two times it was him and Tobiah and They conspired with these other leaders, but now he brings his army along to display 
his power and his authority. But note this, he has no power and authority that has not been given to him by God. And he's mocking the Jews in front of all these people. What are these feeble Jews doing? Feeble meaning sick and emaciated. Well, these sick and emaciated Jews have the wall built almost halfway. And they have it completely interconnected at the base foundation level. And the gaps are starting to be filled in. Well, the reason he's there is because these feeble Jews are making progress and they're moving forward. Will they restore it for themselves? In other words, he's saying, are they not looking around and seeing the opposition? Is that not troubling them? Do they not see everybody around them doesn't like them? Are they just going to build this little place for themselves alone? Because look at everybody else around them. Nobody else likes them. Will they sacrifice? Meaning, will they give thanks when this is all done? Are they gonna, do they think they're going to reinstitute their whole religious system? Will they finish up in a day? Have they even considered what this thing is going to take to build? Two and a half miles of wall, eight feet thick, 30 feet high. Do they have a clue what they're doing? If you haven't heard them yet, and they will be halved, and hopefully they will, with increasing measure, these same accusations launched against the church, our church. Why do I say hopefully they will? Because we're moving, we're building. And there will, church, there will be opposition. Dale Carnegie, the famous writer and leadership coach, he's born in the late 1800s. He says this, Any fool can criticize and complain, and most fools do. I've also heard it said that mockery is the language of the insecure bully. And Sanballat is insecure, and his insecurity is growing as he mocks. So that's verses 1 through 5. That's the opposition. Now here's Nehemiah's response. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and not their sin be blotted out for your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So together, the Jews are making progress. Again, the base of the wall is connected all the way around, but there's still low spots to be finished. It's still coming together. But notice that here's Sanballat ushering all these threats. Tobiah, his little sidekick, is, you know, chiming in and kicking in, and Nehemiah never responds to them. I get this picture of 
you know, it's as if somebody was standing here criticizing me, mocking me. You'll never finish. You'll never get that sermon done. That doesn't make any impact. You're preaching for nothing. And instead of going, well, wait a minute, these people are, and, and, I'm, and I'm trying to justify myself, just going, um, excuse me, Lord, do you hear this? Would you please take care of this for me? Because I have a job to do, and he's provoking you, not me. This is about you and him, not me. And I need you to take care of this. It's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. Do you see this, Lord? Do you see his sin? Hold him accountable to it. See to it that he gets disciplined for it. Lord, take care of this for me. He prays. His first response to opposition is what? Lord, hear me. He actually says, Hear, O our God. If you read through a lot of the Old Testament, it'll say, Hear, O Lord, right? You'll see this twice in this passage. Nehemiah specifically says, Hear, our God. We belong to you. He personalizes it. He prays. He acknowledges God's person by speaking to him and recognizing this is about you. What we're doing is about you. And he's appealing to his power. He's acknowledging who's in charge. And it's not Sanballat. What Nehemiah is also revealing is that his confidence In what he is doing, the work he is accomplishing, he has great confidence. This is of the Lord. I am doing the Lord's work. And he recognizes that these people, again, are in opposition to God. He doesn't take it personal. Rather, he ignores Sanballat altogether. So here's this quick response principle, and then again, we're going to unpack this a little bit more at the end. How do we respond to opposition? Acknowledge the loving and just kingship of God, and don't argue with flesh. Acknowledge God, your king, acknowledge his power, and don't argue with flesh. So here's opposition two, verses 7 through 8. But Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion upon it. Isn't it interesting that there's a work of the Lord going on and there's people that are very angry about it. When these other people are mentioned, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, this is a literal surrounding. So what Nehemiah is describing is 
Tobiah and Sanballat were in one location, let's say east, I can't remember. Then these other guys are north, west, and south. He's describing these men have come together and they're fully surrounding us. The breaches are being closed means that the low vulnerable places of Jerusalem are beginning to be secured. Once these walls get done, they will have a fortified city and they're mad about it. And all of those around them, with their power threatened, Nehemiah says are angry. They're very angry. They're they're enraged. And their taunts move from mockery to threatening. They are now openly plotting attacks that will confuse and halt the work being accomplished. Physical halting. We're going to physically stop you from doing what you're doing. So Nehemiah's response is in chapter 4, verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard against a, as a protection against them day and night. Here's his response. Pray. Again, And then set his people in their places to do their job. Years ago, I read a book by a guy named Jerry Bridges, and it's called Trusting God. And one of the things, one of the analogies that has always stuck with me, he's talking about praying and then trusting the Lord, but also doing our part. And he mentions a farmer sitting next to a field, sitting next to his crops and praying, Lord, please grow the harvest. Please grow my harvest. Please send rain. Please make things grow. And then he sits there and does nothing. He says, no, the farmer prays. And then he gets up and he weeds and he hoes and he tills and he does his job. God's, he said, God is provident and we are prudent. You appeal to God's providence and then you act prudently by acting. That's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. The second threat comes in. And Nehemiah says, Lord, we need your help. Boys, get your swords. Guard the low areas. These aren't magical principles. Well, we pray and then we work, right? These are absolutely necessary steps. So along with Nehemiah's prayers, he takes prudent action. Notice also... That prayer and hard work don't just make for smooth paths and quick success. We'd like to think that, wouldn't we? Right? We, we, we want the message that says, pray and work and smooth sailing. It's not what happens. Pray and work. We're going to see more opposition throughout the book. And there's still a huge wall that needs to get built. And we're going to see in a minute, some of his people get really discouraged. Prayer and hard work don't always make for smooth paths and quick success. But through both prayer and prudent action, applied consistently, which doesn't mean perfectly, through prayer and prudent action, consistently applied, we see 
success. We see it in the lives of the Jewish people building this wall, and we'll see it in ours. So here's this response principle. Acknowledge God by faith through prayer, and then do something, do anything by faith. Acknowledge God, and then move. Don't stand still. Move. I've told my boys, a ship moving is much easier to steer than one laying sitting dead in the water. I don't care what direction. Head in a direction, and then God will steer you from there. Pray in faith to God, and then do something, anything, by faith. Third opposition, verses 10 through 12. In Judah, it was said, the strength of theirs, those who bear the burdens, is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Now, notice in this last cycle, the opposition changes. The opposition is actually coming now from the inside of the walls, not the outside. This phrase, in Judah it was said, reveals that these are things that the wall builders are saying. And the phrase, the last phrase in the verse, you must return to us, could be interpreted this way. Any place you turn, they attack us. So the King James Version says it a little bit more helpful to us. From all the places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So in Judah, it is being said, is talking about the Jews who are building the wall. And most commentaries believe it could be, it could be read, in Judah it was sung. This was a song they were th- singing. They're building the wall, they're exhausted, they're tired, and they're going, there is no way we're going to finish. This is like the old army songs, like, we're in the army now, we're not behind the plow, and Mike would know some, and they're talking about the horrible food and their conditions they're in, and they're singing songs about their miserable condition. That's what's happening in Judah. They're literally singing songs and saying, that's why it's in quotes, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, there's too much rubble. We, by ourselves, we will not be able to build the wall. And they're singing this to each other over and over. The opposition is now within, not from without. In other words, the taunts and the lies and the ridicule and the threats from Sanbala and Tobiah have found their way into their hearts. And now the opposition that Nehemiah faces is discouragement in the wall builders. 
So here's Nehemiah's response. Verses 13 through 14. So in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans, by their families. I put families in the breaches. I put families in the low spots with their spears and their bows. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So in this last response, we see Nehemiah again stationing people. He prays. And then he stations people. And then he also, it says, he stops what he's doing. He gathers everybody together and he says, I have a message for you. By the way, this is a brave heart speech if you've ever heard one. Remember in Lord of the Rings when the king of Rohan is going around and he's clacking his sword on their spears? This is one of those kind of speeches. Rise up! Remember, the Lord is great and awesome. He's got a message for them. Get your minds engaged. We're serving an amazing God. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. Nehemiah acts in prayer and then practical wisdom by doing what he can. I can't guarantee the outcome of this, but I can guarantee I'm going to do something about it. And trust the Lord. And Nehemiah knows that they need each other if they're going to get this wall built. We have to do this together. So here's this response principle. Remember who you follow. Remember what you are doing with who and why. And then give it all you got. Remember who you're following. Remember what you're doing, with who, and why. And then give it all you got. So let's go back through, real quick. I want to look at five redemption steps. Five key principles that we could pull out from Nehemiah's account. And we're going to move from the least important to the greatest So this is, the first one is redemption step number five. So here is how we respond to opposition. Here's some principles that as we face opposition, as we move forward to build the kingdom and we receive opposition, here's five ways we can respond. Step five, identify insecure bully language. Identify insecure bully language. Like Sanballat, the evil one is an insecure bully who sees his shaky kingdom slipping from his fingers. You with me? The devil, the evil one, who hates Christians and hates God, 
he sees his shaky kingdom, just like Sambalat, slipping from his fingers. And every time you and I make progress, even small progress, to build God's kingdom, he will send opposition our way. If you feel like, man, I just keep trying and trying and all these negative things keep happening to me, you're making progress. Somebody doesn't like you. God is for you. That's what's true. Keep moving forward. He will prove himself. He has over and over. You will not be the first one he fails. I promise you. Hear the word of the Lord. Not my opinion. He will not fail you. Keep moving forward. You're experiencing opposition. And I want to encourage you. Many of you have experienced this. But Satan's opposition, the evil one's opposition is external. But it's usually in the form of mocking, ridicule, and threats. In other words... He will focus on your identity, your performance. He will get you comparing yourself to other people. He will highlight your character gaps and undermine your confidence. It was happening to me right when I walked into this building. Who are you to teach this message? You're not ready. The things you're talking about, Rob, you've got so much gap in your life. Who are you? Sit down. He'll undermine your confidence. Hear me. Identify insecure bully language and then drown it with the truth of God. You want to respond to opposition? Identify insecure bully language and then drown it out with the truth of the Word of the Lord. Redemption step number four, don't argue with flesh. Remember, Nehemiah doesn't even acknowledge Sanballat for his taunts. He simply, I don't mean easily, but he simply acknowledges God's power in prayer. He doesn't try to convince Sanballat. He doesn't try to win him over by being culturally relevant. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't go on a Facebook rant against him. He turns to God and appeals to him to deal with his opposition and to deal with his plan. Lord, this is your opposition. Hear me. There is no way Sanballat was going to respond to any arguments from Nehemiah. Not going to happen. Proverbs 26 says, answer a fool according to his folly, and you will be like him. Sanballat, and I believe this is clear from the passage, is not interested in the things of the Spirit, but he's interested in his own things. He's not interested in God's kingdom, he's interested in his own kingdom. In other words, Sanballat is completely in the flesh. He is not going to hear the Spirit. Romans 8, 7 and 8 tells us that those who are in the flesh cannot hear God, nor can they please Him. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There are some people, friends, who we encounter, and you can see the Lord working in them. They're open. They're at least willing. Then by all means, press in and have a conversation. But if they're antagonistic and they're after you and they have no desire for the things of God, do not try to argue with flesh. As a matter of fact, this principle is most practically applied based on Romans to ourselves personally. Your flesh is going to be with you until we're completely redeemed and the Lord eradicates all of our sin. True? So we will battle these kinds of thoughts like I described to you earlier. Rob, you're not this. You're not that. You'll never be good enough. All those things that you and I hear in our minds will never go away. And that doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. But it does mean you need to stop listening to that kind of counsel and shut it down with the truth of the Word of the Lord. Because guess what? Your flesh will never obey God. He will always want to keep saying stuff to you that is negative and it's, it's condemnation. Years I spent trying talking to trying to talk my flesh into obeying God so that I could just get some rest and peace so that I just could convince myself that I'm a believer. Guess what? I'm a believer, but my flesh is a pest. But I work at trying not to argue with him, but rather drown him out with the truth of the Lord. If you want to respond to opposition... Don't argue with flesh. Redemptive step number three. Know what you're building. Um, listen to us talk about this, by the way. This is up here. What are we building? We've talked about redemptive community. And I'm really excited. I'm not saying this negatively. I hear people, individuals, families talking about what's, what's our part? What's my part? And there's an excitement about this. But let me caution us, because I think we've overcomplicated this. We're so bent, our culture is so bent, and we've been fed for so long this idea of individual purpose and God's will for my life that we think it's like this, ooh, i got to go discover that. i got to go find that thing. i got to realize what my purpose is and we miss the forest for the trees we spend 90 percent of our time and energy trying to figure out 10 percent of god's will you with me and if we would spend 90 percent of our time and energy doing the 90 percent of god's will that we already know that is clear in his word then the 10 percent will discover itself it is true, because Romans 12, 1 through 3 that we read at the beginning says, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Translation, I appeal to you guys, just submit to the 90% of stuff that you, don't, that you know. It's black and white. Love your wife. 
Honor your husband. Obey your parents. Love your neighbor. Be kind. Speak truth. Do those things and you'll discover the 10% that you're worried about. But we, we, we spend 90% of our time on the gray and miss the black and white. Paul says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. By applying God's truth to your life, you will discern what His will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to boil this down. What are we building? We're building redemptive community. We're building God's kingdom. And it's as simple as this. Acknowledge God's way. Identify sin in your life. And stop. And then walk in God's way. Whatever way He shows you in the next five minutes, this is my way. Am I walking in it? Yes. Rejoice. No. Repent. In the next five minutes, do that. And then guess what? In the next five days, you'll be different. And in the next five weeks, you'll be different still. And in the next five months, you'll be different even still. And in the next five years, but you won't be different in the next five years if you're not different in the next five minutes, in the next five seconds. So here's redemptive step number two. Stack one stone at a time. So some of us, we're doing this, right? And we look down and we're like, uh, uh, there's too many. I don't know which one first. And so I'm not going to do it here because it break the floor. But then we just, we drop them. It's too much. We give up. Or some of us are like, oh man, our family's behind. Look at all these other families growing and changing. We're not, I, I'm, I, I haven't been growing, this is me, I haven't been growing and changing like I want. i got to get all this stuff done. I've got all these stones. i got to do it right now. Is that a wall? Hear me. There is one way a wall gets built. One brick at a time. It's the only way walls get built. Stack one stone at a time. Do you know how two and a half miles of wall around Jerusalem gets built? One stone at a time. It's the only way. No, you hear me? It is the only way that wall gets built. And by the way, I almost brought it one. There's a picture of Nehemiah's wall. I told you about this, but I, I saw it. I found it online. There's a lady standing on it. Tobiah's statement, a fox jumps on it. That'll fall down. Uh, still there. You know how it got there? One brick at a time. 
one person at a time. Some of them are big, maybe three people at a time. Three people, one rock. Two miles of walls can only get built one way. One rock at a time. Likewise, the only way we will impact five generations from now should we be given that amount of time is if we obey in the next five seconds. The only way we will impact five generations is to obey in the next five minutes. Redemptive relationships can only get built one way. We've talked about this when we were back in Genesis. Men, single, married, young, old, love, lead, tend, protect. It's our job. If you want to unpack these, you can go back to January 2023. Women, honor, companion, help or nurture, complete. Children, obey, follow, support, engage. God has a plan. You can change out the words a little bit, right? That's the thinkest Rob. Pulled some of those out. You could add to them. There might be more. Basic principles were pretty close, okay? There's one way to build redemptive relationships, and God knows what it is, and he tells us in his word. Husbands, men... Act this way. Women, wives, daughters, act this way. Children, obey your parents, follow them, support what's going on in their home, and then engage. Use all your gifts to make your family better. That's the way redemptive relationships get built. It's the only way it happens. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives. That's what he's saying. We can get so caught up in big visions of God's kingdom that we neglect one brick at a time. Yeah? We can get so caught up in what's my, ooh, what's our wall building section? Remember? Oh, ooh, we want to do the fountain gate. No, you're at the dung gate. No, we want to be at the fountain gate. This only gets done one way. When we're talking about re- building redemptive community together, We're not talking about finding some big ministry project to do. This is not purpose-driven life, search for significance, the prayer of Jabez. Remember those? You got to find your ultimate big, huge thing that only you can do. No, just obey your dad. It's one stone stone of obedience at a time. We're redeeming, we're, we're taking chaos and we're making it orderly by obeying the Lord. Taking a children's cluttered mind and focusing it. Taking a pile of dirty dishes and cleaning them. A pile of unfolded towels and folding them. I'm talking about things that we can do. And if you realize that me doing this contributes to the functioning of my family and we make it easier to live together and we do this together knowing that this is part of the kingdom, there is no way it'll return void. You with me? 
It builds the kingdom. Take someone's wound and bandage it. Take a group of young boys and girls and shape them. Take a disorganized home and order it. Find a lonely person and befriend them. Take a truck of packed items with forklift parts and organize them into into accessible categories. Take a formless group of people and direct them. Take a spool of plastic and turn it into a useful product. Take a big lump of concrete and stamp it. Take a broken down house and remodel it. Take a confused gender and identify it. Hear a lie and speak truth to it. Encounter a distorted worldview and clarify it. Take a disconnected person and connect them. Take a mind of junk and put truth in it. Church, this is the way the kingdom gets built. And you can do it tonight. And I'm telling you, you won't discover what that big thing is out there without building on these small bricks first. We often can't, hear me, we often can't discover God's will in the gray areas because we're not obeying God's will in the black and white ones. Figure out the gray. Ooh, we want to, because we're not obeying the simple black and white ones. Hear this too. Confidence is the result of knowing and living the truth of God. Confidence comes one way. Knowing what God's will is and obeying it. All other promises of confidence, and I've read loads of books on them, they're sand. Confidence comes one way. Know God's will and obey it. If you want to respond to opposition, do it one stone at a time. And lastly, and most importantly, redemptive step number one, acknowledge God your King. In every instance of opposition, in chapter 4, verse 4, the way Nehemiah responds is, Hear, O our God. In chapter 4, verse 9, when he, he hits opposition, he says, We prayed to our God. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Every time Nehemiah faced opposition, he immediately acknowledged God's love, his justice, and his power. If you want to be successful in facing opposition, then the first and the most important thing you have to do, we have to do, is acknowledge God, Yahweh, as King. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for being King and all-powerful and awesome, for giving us your words so that we can know how to live and respond. Thank you for this account of Nehemiah that he diligently wrote down that we're still reading today and gaining great amounts of wisdom, encouragement, and hope. And if we forget nothing else, may we remember this. Whenever we face opposition, would we acknowledge, you alone are God, this is what you've called me to do. I'm going to obey you. You will see it through. Build your kingdom through us, Lord God, 
as we wait for Your Son Christ our King to completely finish it. And to that end, we pledge ourselves and we pray with hope and joy. Amen.